0: O'clock, and we're going to start on time. Everybody wants to end on time, right? I've got a I've got an icebreaker for you this uh, evening, and it is a little bit subjective. I'm going to tell you. It I, I try to think of something that's going to work into my thought for the night. And tonight I I googled um, things about kindness, and I googled the kindest um, characters in movie or literature. And I came up with a couple lists, and I think they were all just put together by some guy in his basement. But I want to share with you the the kindest characters in movie or literature. I I want you to think about who you would put as the kindest characters in movies or literature, because I got to tell you, the list that I've got, I don't agree with at all. But I'll share the list with you anyway. Um, the kindest characters from books and film. Here you go. Number 10, Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't think he was that kind. He was simple and he was quiet, but I don't know. He wasn't really in the film that much. I guess he put stuff out for the kids. Robert Duvall's first movie, by the way. Number nine, Jean Valjean from Les Mis. And right now, Mike Manley just said, My name is Jean Valjean and you know you did, Mike, and I know you did. Uh, Number eight, kindest characters in literature or film, Don Quixote. Number seven, Mary Poppins, the Julie Andrews versions of Mary Poppins. And again, I think Julie Andrews version of Mary Poppins both really could be a little bit harsh on the kids, but she was number seven on the list. Number six, kindest people, kindest characters in film or literature, George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life, played by Jimmy Stewart from My Hometown, number six on the list. Number five, do not agree with this one at all, Dobby, the house elf from uh, Harry Potter, who always talks about himself in the third person. Never trust a house elf who talks about himself in the third person. Uh, Number four on the list, Forrest Gump. Number four, kindest character in movies or literature, Forrest Gump. Sorry, I started a fight at your Black Panther okay. meeting. That's for Mike, too, by the way. Number three on the kindness uh, list, Maria Rainier. And I didn't know her last name was Rainier. You might not know who Maria Rainier is either. You, you'll recognize Maria Von Trapp. Again, another Julie Andrews character. Uh, She was pretty kind. I'll give you that one. Number two on the list, Dorothy Gale. And again, number two, I didn't know her last name. I do know Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Number two on the all-time list of the kindest people, uh, characters in movie or literature. MGM actually wanted, um, oh, what's the little girl's name? Actress. (laughs) Shirley Temple. (laughs) I wanted Shirley Temple to play that part. In fact, Judy Garland was the third choice, but it worked out. Uh, the number one, the kindest character in film or literature, Atticus Finch. So there's two from To Kill a Mockingbird. And again, I'm not sure about that one. It's number one, especially. He's very wise and I guess kind. Okay. But now I want you to think about the kindest people in scripture. Who would you say are the kindest people in Scripture? And I'm qualifying this a little bit, not named Jesus, okay? We all know Jesus is number one, okay, for sure. Uh, other than Jesus, who are the kindest people in Scripture? Again, I Googled it, and I got a couple people who came up with lists, and I just chose a list, kind of at random, and I want to share with you their list. It's the top five kindest uh People in scripture not named Jesus. And see if you agree. Number five. Pharaoh's daughter. Exodus chapter two. You know, Pharaoh's having all the baby Hebrew boys killed. and Pharaoh's daughter takes baby Moses from the Nile. I told Martha that and she argued with me. She said, I think God played a hand in that. But I think God probably has a hand in any time we're kind to people. So I won't argue too much with Pharaoh's daughter. Number four all-time kindest people in scripture according to somebody joseph betrayed by his brothers um, accused of something he didn't do uh, had every reason to take vengeance on his brothers but he still has chosen incredible kindness uh, to his family in the end um, what you meant for evil god meant for good joseph's number four number three this fellow put boaz and ruth As number three and I won't argue that too much Um, you know Ruth showed tremendous tenderness and kindness to Boaz and Boaz reciprocates by marrying her and uh, you know it's it's a beautiful love story number two the, the kindest people in scripture the woman from Luke 7 who washed Jesus's feet with her tears and dried them with her hair hard to argue with that Uh, I don't know where I'd place it in in a list, but uh, yeah, that was certainly an act of kindness. But I share all this list with you to get to the number one act of kindness on this fellow's list from Scripture. He has listed the most kind person, not named Jesus, in all of the Bible. He listed the Good Samaritan. The guy who saw a, a man beaten, lying in the ditch, left half dead and... He showed him compassion, took care of him. Now, the Good Samaritan has one thing that's uh, unique to him and the rest of the people in that list. You know what it is? The thing that makes the Good Samaritan different from everyone else in the list? Yeah. He wasn't an actual person. He was a character in one of Jesus' parables. Um, But that's who we're going to talk about tonight. We have been spending some Wednesday nights looking at just some teachings of Jesus and we've looked at some miracles that Jesus has done and some commands and some questions and we've touched on a parable or two. Uh, Tonight I want to spend our time talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan and I'll tell you some of my thoughts are set up from a month ago or so. um, My brother out in Oregon, we share a lot of ideas on books and classes and you know, if I read a good book, I, I tell him, got to check it out and saying he does the same. And, and he said, hey, you got to check out this book. It's, it's entitled Short Stories by Jesus. It's about Jesus' uh, parables written by a woman by the name of Amy Jill Levine. And this uh, uh, author is actually a uh, doctor, has a PhD in theology working at Vanderbilt University. But it's kind of interesting, she's Jewish, and yet she writes a lot about Jesus. So it's a book by this Jewish woman talking about the parables that Jesus shared, and specifically how they would have been heard and viewed and processed by a Jew living in the first century, hearing it live from Jesus. And and, and the author makes claims pretty early on in the book that if we just listen to any teaching of Jesus, but, but especially in the parables, if we just listen to any teaching of Jesus and kind of conclude, oh, that's a nice story, isn't that a sweet thought? If that's our takeaway from any of Jesus' teaching, then we've missed something. And we're not listening closely enough uh, regarding the parables of Jesus. If we settle for the obvious, easy interpretation of each parable, be kind like the good Samaritan. You'll be forgiven like the prodigal son. If we settle for just the easiest, simplest application, even though they're right, then we're going to miss a lot of the depth of the message that Jesus is teaching. And we're going to miss a lot of the genius of Jesus's teaching as well. You know, as we we think about what Jesus says and does and teaches, especially the parables, I'm not sure we should focus quite so much on what they mean as what they do. How do they challenge us? How do they sharpen us? How do they convict us? How do they motivate us? How do they maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable? Now, I told you in my, um, on Vital Concern and on Facebook, my little uh, teaser for tonight. I said we were going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and I, I sort of wondered out loud how can we possibly learn anything new about what is probably if it's not the most it's one of the, the the one or two or three it's on Mount Rushmore for sure the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. How could we possibly learn anything new and I, I challenge you if you'd log on if you'd stick with me that you would learn something about the parable of the Good Samaritan that you've never known before. And I'm sticking to that. I want to see if if you don't find out something, learn something, kind of see something in a different way that maybe you've never seen before. I want to go through the parable. I'm just going to read through it. And um, as we do, I want you to sort of think about how we process this famous story in the year 2020, as opposed to how somebody in the first century, especially a Jewish person in the first century, might process the story. I'm going to read through it and then we'll we'll go back and, and kind of walk through it. I'm in Luke chapter ten. Um, if you're not there already, I should have told you that right off the bat. Luke chapter ten is where the parables found. I'm going to start in verse 25. So get your Bible and jump on. And again, I've uh, I say this every week, and I really do appreciate it. Um, every time you every time you read scripture, something else jumps out at you, and if you read something, you hear something, you think, wow, I've got a question about that. you got a thought about that. Uh, type it into the comments. Uh, we can't share physically and you know, I can't hear you across the room, but I would love and I do love hearing your comments and your thoughts and your insights. So kind of be participating as we go along here. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So which of, you, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him." Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. It's a nice story, isn't it? That's a sweet story, isn't it? We need to be kind, just like the Samaritan. But again, if that's all we take away from this story, we didn't listen carefully enough. And if that's all we take away from that story, as true as it is, we are underestimating the genius and underappreciating the genius of Jesus' teaching. You know, that term, Good Samaritan, we use it all the time, don't we? There are Good Samaritan hospitals. There are Good Samaritan charities. There are Good Samaritan uh, uh, laws in our land. There's the Good Sam Camping Club. Most of the time, When we focus on the parable of the Good Samaritan, we focus on be kind to others, go the second mile. And that is great teaching, by the way, and it's absolutely true. And I'm not saying that that teaching is incorrect. I'm just saying that that takeaway is incomplete. I think if that's our only takeaway, then it's insufficient. Um, How would Jesus original audience have listened and processed this story? How would those Jews in the first century have reacted to what Jesus was saying when he started talking about the Good Samaritan? A phrase, by the way, which Jesus never uses. Never does Jesus call this guy the Good Samaritan. We've we've dubbed him that. But let's go back and walk through the parable and kind of take it slowly and and see if we can't... um, See, we can't learn something. The whole thing is prompted by a question. Question asked by a lawyer. Luke 10, 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I'm going to go ahead and pass on all of my lawyer jokes that I have. But here's a question asked by this uh, lawyer. And Luke tells us that he's testing Jesus by asking the question. And it's pretty obvious in the reading that this man is asking a question that he already feels pretty sure he knows the answer to. He's asking a question, but he already knows the answer. Um, There's something very insincere about his question. Even though it's a good question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question, but it's a very insincere question asked by this man. And Jesus answers his question by asking a question. He throws it back to the lawyer. In fact, he answers his question by asking not one, but two questions back to the lawyer. Verse 26, he said to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? When Jesus asked him what's written in the law, he was asking what's written in Torah, what we would call the Pentateuch, Penta, five, first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What's written in the law? Now, when you read the first five books of the Old Testament, when you read Torah, they don't say very much about eternal life. They don't say very much at all about life after death. The law says a great deal about how to live your life now. And it says a great deal about how to, to live with other people and relationships, but doesn't say very much about how to live, uh, about how to live, how to gain uh, eternal life. But Jesus doesn't just ask him what's written in the law. He follows it up with, and how do you interpret it? What's written in the law and how do you read it? And the lawyer answers Jesus with with two verses from Torah. He puts two verses together in verse 27. So he answered and said, "Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. So he answers by quoting Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and uh, Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus congratulates him. He congratulates him on answering well. Verse 28, um, again, Luke chapter 10, verse 28, he said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. Interesting, Jesus tells him, you've answered correctly. That's a good answer. You're right. But he doesn't tell him, do this and you will receive eternal life. Because that was the question originally. He doesn't say, do this and you'll have eternal life. Instead, Jesus says, do this and you'll live. Jesus is talking about the here and the now, Um You're talking about eternal life. I'm talking about doing something right now. I'm bringing it back to how you need to be living your life right now. This isn't a one-time kind of thing. Check the box. Get her done. You know, Okay, I've done that. Now I can move on and it's taken care of. What do I need to do? How do I need to to live? He says, love God. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you'll live. But the lawyer isn't quite satisfied with that question. And he's going to ask another question that leads to the parable. And second question shows that he's still being very insincere and really kind of an inappropriate question. Verse 29. In fact, Luke tells us that he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Do that. Okay. Who is my neighbor? Which is sort of a polite way of saying, who's not my neighbor? It's kind of a polite way of saying, who do I not have to show kindness to? Who do I not have to show love to? I mentioned it was Leviticus 19 that the guy quotes, love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, the same chapter, goes on to say, The alien who resides with you shall be to you as a citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19 also says you need to love your neighbor as yourself, but you need to love the stranger. You need to love the alien. You need to love the illegal immigrant you need to show love because you used to be illegal immigrants too both the neighbor and the alien the stranger are to be loved you know the neighbor the jew who is just like you and has the same rights and responsibilities as you you're supposed to love them the alien who is very different doesn't have the same rights and responsibilities you love them too this isn't just a story that Jesus tells because he's had it in his back pocket for a while. I'm waiting to pull out this story. It's a zinger. He tells it because of the question that's asked. He tells it because of the guy who asked the question. He tells it because of his audience. Because of the Jewish people who are listening to him. And again, the genius of Jesus' teaching is he tells it for us as well. So take a look at the story again the parable that jesus tells luke chapter 10 verse 30 then jesus answered and said a certain man went down from jerusalem to jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed leaving him half dead why did jesus use that context and that scene to tell this story Why did he say, here's something that happened on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho? Why not some other road? Why mention a road at all? Why did he specifically say this happened on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho? It's a story. They understand he's telling a story. So, you know, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, why there? Well, his audience certainly would have understood that that is a dangerous stretch of road. Uh, It it was historically very treacherous. 18-mile stretch of road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, It's the same stretch of road that King David fled from uh, Absalom. Uh, It was the same stretch of road that King Zedekiah uh, escaped the Chaldeans. Uh, Really treacherous. A a lot of uh, bad things happened on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But there's another reason that Jesus chose that road to be the setting of his story. And I'm going to come back to that later. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So why did the priest and the Levite pass by? In all my life, I've heard um, conversations and explanations about why the priest and the Levite passed by. And they always were told in a way and explained in a way that sort of fit into the overarching theme and, and application of the parable. And one reason was, well, the priest and the Levite were upper class. The priest and the Levite were um, separate and apart. They, were, they, they, were, uh, they had means, um, they were the elite, but the people listening to Jesus tell this story wouldn't have thought that, because it wasn't true. Priests and Levites, a lot of them were very poor. You were born in into that uh, position. You were born into the the the, the uh, tribe of Levi. Uh, the Bible's full of uh, situations and instances where priests and Levites were were incredibly poor. And then I've also heard, well. They had to pass by on the other side because they couldn't risk becoming ceremonially unclean. They couldn't touch a corpse. But that's not true either. And the people listening to Jesus' story wouldn't have, wouldn't have jumped to that conclusion. In fact, the law demanded that a priest or a Levite would go over and check on the condition of the man and help him if he could. So why did they pass him by? Let me share with you a thought from Martin Luther King Jr., actually. Martin Luther King Jr. suggests maybe they passed him by because they were afraid. Maybe it's as simple as that. The priest and the Levite were afraid. They were afraid of what would happen to them if they stopped and helped this guy. The Samaritan shows up. He's afraid of what's going to happen to the man in the ditch if he doesn't stop and help this guy. The priest and the Levite, they're only thinking of themselves. The Samaritan, he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of the guy in the ditch. Usually, the application of this parable is, let's just focus on the Samaritan's compassion, which, again, don't bury the lead, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But usually, we use this parable as a teaching and a warning against prejudice. Um, You know, you've heard preachers that say, if Jesus was telling this story in modern day time, he would say, a preacher and a deacon passed by the man in the ditch, and they didn't stop. But then, a gay man came by, or a homeless man came by, or uh, an immigrant came by. And he stopped and helped the man. And the application is usually, you know, all those other people who are so different than us, who are marginalized, who are um, somewhere lower on the uh, social economic ladder, somehow inferior to, you know, to us. Those are the kind people and we need to learn from them, you know, about their compassion. And I've heard so many times this parable talked in those terms. No, for, for the downtrodden, for the underprivileged. This is just showing how compassionate they can be. That is not how Jesus's audience would have heard that story. When he talked about a Samaritan, first, it would have surprised him that the third person coming by was a Samaritan. But they would, have not, they would not have thought downtrodden. They would not have thought marginalized. They would not have gone there when, when they thought about a Samaritan. Um, Those Jews listening to Jesus, they didn't think of the Samaritans as oppressed people. And they didn't think of Samaritans as mistreated people. To them, the Samaritans were the oppressors. They were the mistreaters. They weren't just a different um, class. They were enemy. They weren't marginalized. There was no prejudice there. There was hatred. I mean, they, they were absolutely the enemy. You know, we use the term Good Samaritan all the time. That term never could have been imagined by a Jew in the first century. It would be like me talking about the good rapist that showed up, or the good child molester, or the good murderer. You no, know, there is no such thing. In fact, to a first century Jew, they would say, let me die. I'd rather die in the ditch than be helped by a Samaritan and yet in Jesus' story it's the Samaritan who shows some compassion and takes care of them these two groups weren't just at odds they were hostile to each other and we could take the time and talk about all the reasons why they were such enemies but if you're with me on a Wednesday night and you've lasted this long you probably know that history You know, the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity and the intermarrying and the dilution and all those things. Um, But we understand that the Samaritans and the Jews, uh, they were enemies of each other. But it's the enemy who stops and helps. And again, we sort of uh, have always seemed to teach or assume or something that the Samaritan didn't have very much, that, that he was kind of on a lower rung. But the story doesn't bear that out. He has freedom. He he has ways of travel. He has money. He has some negotiating skills. This isn't a, a story about prejudice and marginalized people. It's a story about enemies who basically have the same resources. Now, I told you that if you logged on tonight, that you would learn something new about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Chances are you're sitting there thinking, not yet haven't learned anything new yet. Well, here comes something new. And you can impress us all and say, oh, I knew that. I understood that. Um, I'm going to admit to you right now, I have never connected the dots until pretty recently on the Good Samaritan story and a passage that to us is pretty obscure in the Old Testament. There's a passage in the Old Testament that um, I have read before. I know I've read it. But I have never connected the dots to how it ties in to the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10. Now, the people listening to the parable, they would have known it. Because they knew the Old Testament better than I do. But it's uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Way back in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, remember I asked, why did Jesus use the setting for the road from Jerusalem to Jericho? And why did Jesus craft this story the way he did? listen to 2 Chronicles chapter 28. I'm in verse 18. Um, I'll get you caught up just a little bit. Uh, The Samaritans, Samaritans, uh, here they're actually identified as the people of Israel, but um, they captured 200,000 Judean women, sons and daughters. Uh, The Israelites had uh, um, upset God and God turned them over to the Samaritans and the Samaritans captured 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and a bunch of loot, and they take them to Samaria. A prophet by the name of Obed confronts the army as uh, as they have all these uh, Israelites in, in Samaria. And, and here's what it says in Second Chronicles 28, verse 8. Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you've killed them in a rage that's reached up to heaven." The prophet's saying, God has allowed you to uh, defeat these Israelites, but you've taken it too far. I mean, you're you're slaughtering them. Now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves. But what have you except sins against the Lord your God? Now hear me, and send back the captives whom you have taken from your kindred, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. So the leaders of, the, of Samaria, the Samaritans, they agree with the prophet. And notice what the Samaritans do. This is going to sound familiar to you. Second Chronicles chapter 28. Notice what the Samaritans do to the Israelites. Then those who were mentioned by name got up, took the captives with the booty, and they clothed all that were naked among them. They clothed them, gave them sandals, provided them with food and drink, anointed them with oil, carrying all the feeble among them, placing them on donkeys. They brought their kindred to Jericho, and they returned back to Samaria. Did you hear what what the Samaritans did back in 2 Chronicles? You have, uh, they've attacked Judah, who were their enemies. Then they come to the conclusion, we are going, we're going to clothe them because they're naked. So we're going to clothe them. We're going to put sandals on their feet. We're going to feed them. We are going to anoint them with oil. Then we're going to put them on our own donkeys. And we're going to take them to Jericho. I have never connected the dots between that passage and Luke chapter 10, Jesus talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. But I've got to believe that the people listening to Jesus remembered the story from 2 Chronicles. In the Old Testament there, you see that cycle of violence Broken. You see the the people, um, the Samaritans specifically, um, doing what the prophet tells them to do and returning the people, taking care of the people. Almost exactly the same way that the good Samaritan took care of the man in the ditch. For the person in the ditch, for the person who identifies with the one in the ditch, the ones who want to kill you, might be the very ones who save you. The ones who are recognized as your enemies. No, God's love can be shown through anyone, at any time, in big ways and in small ways. Let's go back to the, the parable. Let's go back to Luke chapter 10. And again, some of you might have already known that. That might be old hat for you. I've never put those two passages together. And for me, it really adds some depth to, uh, to Luke 10. Let's go back to Luke 10. Luke 10, 35. It's still, it's still towards the end of the, the, the story here. And upon the next day, taking out, he gave two denarii to the innkeeper and said, take care of them. And whatever you might spend, I, upon my return, will give it back to you. Despite what you've always heard, the Samaritan in this story is not some social victim. He's not somebody who uh, is um, is marginalized and um, just you know really on the fringes of society. Again, he's got freedom, he's got money, he's got opportunities, he's got resources. Uh, he doesn't see himself as inferior in any way, and the people listening to Jesus wouldn't have seen him as inferior in any way. To the original audience, this is not a story about prejudice. It's not a story about um, people in the margins. Again, it's about, it's about two groups of people who hate each other and have basically the same resources. Uh, and this whole thing of um, verse 35, um, where the Samaritan is offering long-term care, again, Jesus is bringing that back to how you live in your life. Now, it's not a one-time thing. How are you living your life? Are, are you caring for people consistently? Not a checklist. Well, the parable's over. That's the parable. But Jesus isn't quite done with a lawyer. verse thirty six, Luke ten. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Remember the original question was, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells this uh, this story. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. It's as if he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He doesn't call him the Samaritan. He says, "Uh, yeah, the one who had mercy on him. I mean, there's, there's no other answer, right? And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And one more time, Jesus is bringing it back to action. He's bringing it back to a lifestyle. Um, Jesus wasn't just sharing information. He's trying to teach these people, here's what you do with your life. Here's how you live your life. Now imagine the the potential of being able to, to have our enemy bind up our wounds. Or imagine the potential of being able to truly bind up the wounds of our enemy. God's love can be found anywhere, anytime. I hope it can be found in us. And the takeaway in uh, in this parable isn't just be kind like the Samaritan, which, again, great takeaway. Absolutely, be kind like the Samaritan. But maybe part of it for me and part of it for us is allow our enemies to be kind to us. No. Understand that, that God works all the time. And it's not of what can I do this one time? What's my lifestyle? What are my habits? Where am I finding people in the ditch? And how am I identifying them and responding to them? I don't know if you learned anything new about the Good Samaritan tonight or not. I did. Um, I hope that you put some of your thoughts in the comments. I want to close with a prayer and then uh, an update or two, and then we'll be finished. Father, we are so thankful that um, you've given us your word and your will and your truth. And Father, as we read your word, I pray that we are never guilty of assuming anything. Uh, It's alive and it's active, and every time we read through it, it speaks to us. And I'm thankful that your spirit works through the word in such powerful ways. And Father, never uh, never keep us from going back to those familiar passages that we know and love so well and be reminded of why we know them and love them so well. And thank you for the the grace that shines through in every teaching that Jesus shares and the love that shines through and also the challenges. And, and I pray as we think about these things tonight that that we are convicted and maybe we are a little bit uncomfortable and uh, And I just pray that you can use your word to shape us and mold us to to live lives that honor you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.